Hi, everyone, and welcome back to Queering LGBTQ. Ever since I learned what queer theory was, I haven't stopped thinking about it. There are so many ways to apply it to our daily lives. Each individual thinks that they see and understand what LGBTQ plus means. But I want to talk about how we can take a more queer approach to our standard labels. In the simplest terms, queer theory is a challenge. It's a challenge to the societal standards of gender and sexuality. It's a challenge to societal norms. Queer theory tells you to throw what you think you know out the window and then reanalyzes it as you bring it back in. Queer theory questions everything, and because it's theory, there's no one answer. Or answers at all. It's an ongoing discussion passing through time. And now, the discussion has reached me. Today we're going to be focusing on the term trans or transgender, its origin, history, and the ways that queer theory challenges it. In her book, Transgender History, Susan Stryker explains that while it had been around for some time, the term transgender didn't become popularized until the 1990s. In the 70s and 80s, it used to mean a person who wanted to change their gender socially, sometimes involving hormones, but never surgery. Someone who only wanted to change their expression temporarily with clothing was considered a transvestite, and someone who wanted to have gender-affirming surgery was referred to as transsexual. Stryker tells us that transsexual is typically accredited to Magnus Hirschfeld, a German sexologist. In 1923, he wrote about spiritual transsexualism, which to him was defined as the experience of having feelings, emotions, or the aesthetic of the gender that one was not assigned at birth. It wasn't until Harry Benjamin started using transgender in the 1950s that people started becoming aware of the term. He used it to refer to Christine Jorgensen, a transgender woman who had one of the first widely publicized surgical transitions. Benjamin used it to draw a distinction between someone who wanted to medically transition, transgender, and someone who simply wanted to change their clothing to that of the opposite gender, transvestite. Now, terms like transsexual and transvestite are usually seen as derogatory, and transgender, or just trans, are used in their place. Cross-dressing is the term used now that has replaced transvestite. However, with the constant breaking down of the gender binary, especially in the younger generations, cross-dressing is being used less and less in favor of just letting individuals wear what they please without boxing them into a specific category. While we may not have had the same word for it, individuals who do not fit into the gender binary have existed for centuries. But that doesn't mean that journey was easy. Stryker explains that colonies passed laws against cross-dressing as early as 1690. And then, in the 1850s, many cities in the United States passed ordinances to make it illegal to wear clothing that belonged to the opposite sex in public. After a century of living in the shadows or outside of the law, in 1961, a long-lasting community was founded by trans woman Virginia Prince. She invited some of the subscribers to her magazine, Transvestia, to a hotel room and instructed them to bring stockings and high heels. They all showed up, and once in the room, she had them put on the shoes. By cross-dressing together in a safe, protected space away from all of the stigma, they were able to form a community. They began to meet regularly and called themselves the Hose and Heels Club. Eventually, it evolved into the alpha chapter of a new national organization, the Foundation for Personality Expression, and later, the Society for the Second Self, or TRIAS. 
She used this as a platform to share her belief that cross-dressing helped men express themselves fully in a society that has very strict gender roles. While having a community of individuals is great, she limited the membership to exclusively heterosexual assigned male-at-birth men. And that also meant typically white middle-class men with the money to keep that part of their life private. Stryker says that Prince, quote, took the leading role in driving wedges between transvestite, transsexual, gay and lesbian, and feminist communities. And she did not envision an inclusive, expansive, progressive, and multifaceted transgender movement. And yet she unequivocally played a key role in founding such a movement, end quote. This example shows that while you can do good while being part of a community, being part of that community doesn't automatically make you good. In 1968, trans man Mario Martino founded Labyrinth, which became the first specifically trans men-focused organization in the U.S. Stryker tells us that he and his wife worked in healthcare and wanted to help other trans men get medical services, because at the time, most of the trans healthcare was geared towards trans women. In 1969, however, trans activism became a bit louder with the Stonewall riots three years after the Compton's Cafeteria riots that I talked about in episode two. The Stonewall Inn was a bar in New York City that was very popular. Police raids were quite frequent, but bar owners would pay them off and then they'd leave. On June 28, 1969, however, the payoff didn't go like usual. Stryker says, quote, A large crowd of people gathered on the street as police began arresting workers and patrons. Some people in the crowd started throwing coins at the police officers, taunting them for taking payola, end quote. After that, the mood of the crowd changed from taunting to resistance against the police. The crowd started throwing bottles and rocks and heavy objects at them, and more people from the surrounding area joined in. The police officers, greatly outnumbered, locked themselves inside of Stonewall to escape the crowd and called for backup. The crowd tried to break down the barricaded door and even tried to throw a Molotov cocktail inside to get the police back into the streets. Their backup eventually came, but the riot continued until morning. The next night, thousands showed up at Stonewall Inn to protest, and continued for a few more days until finally dying down. The fight for trans rights has continued since then. According to LGBTQ Stats by David Deschamps and Bennett Singer, by 1980, transsexualism was included in the DSM-3, and in the DSM-4 in 1994, it was changed to gender identity disorder. The issue with both of these is that they are defining the identity itself as a mental illness, which is extremely harmful to an entire community of people whose identities would then be considered an illness. But it was trans activists who protested and objected to the pathologization of their identities, and in 2013, when the DSM-5 was released, the diagnosis was finally changed to gender dysphoria. This acknowledges the stressors and mental illness that being trans can cause without saying that by being trans, you are inherently mentally ill. So, how can we challenge the term transgender? A lot of times, transgender is defined as someone who identifies as the opposite sex than the one they were assigned at birth, which of course is very binary. Stryker prefers to use the term transgender in its broadest sense. She defines transgender as moving away from the gender assigned at birth and crossing boundaries that socially and culturally define gender. Using transgender with this definition in mind moves away from the binary and leaves it much more open to identities. And that's actually quite inclusive for a term because it doesn't really exclude like other labels do. 
What the big problem is, is the concept of gender as a whole, and how we separate sexes and genders into all these categories, and especially binary categories. We need to acknowledge the fact that the gender binary is a social construct that has changed and evolved throughout time. The sexual binary isn't necessarily a construct, but a false dichotomy that doesn't acknowledge the natural occurrence of intersex individuals. In their chapter, Blending Genders, in the book Current Concepts in Transgender Identity, Richard Ekins and David King write that, quote, gender is attributed to social actors by self and others, and is a fundamental element in the everyday presentation of self. Once a gender attribution has been made, expectations follow that an actor will display the correct blend of things such as dress and demeanor, sex object choice, occupation, leisure time activities, and so on, end quote. They go on to explain that we could separate gender into a dichotomy, but the incorrect blending of genders happens all the time already, especially on a smaller scale. And it's the large and permanent blends that those who believe in it view as the biggest threat to the gender binary. And that's so much of what being trans is, blending and breaking the gender binary. And as it's who we are, it's not just a temporary break, but a permanent puncture to the binary. Atkins and King tell us that when interviewed, self-identified transvestites and transsexuals had said that in their past, they had thought maybe their gender blending was temporary or could be fixed or removed. But as they continued to live their lives, they came to realize that their identities were, and always would be, a key piece to who they are. Almost every trans individual has heard someone say, well, maybe it's just a phase. But we know that these things are not taken lightly. What is seen as breaking out of the binary for some is quite literally just our being. It can be an act of rebellion against the binary, but for trans individuals, it's just who we are and what we're doing to feel most comfortable. All right, joining me today is my friend Jacqueline. Hello. It is so nice to have you on the show. So you identify as trans, correct? That is correct. I identify as trans feminine. Awesome. So do you want to give us a little background on your identity? The way I describe it to people and the way I often ask people how to describe their gender identity when I'm talking to them is I'm like, name a song that like gives you gender vibes. I often tell people that like I aspire towards a combination of every member of ABBA and every member of the Bee Gees at the same time. I absolutely love that. So what's like your kind of history with uh, identifying as trans? I started off living my life as male and uh, discovered probably around like fifth grade that I was like, hmm, there are things that I like to do that aren't considered male, like wearing my, my other sibling's Wonder Woman costume or trying to get my mom to paint my nails. And so, you know, I just kind of sat on that, let it kind of sit there until probably about high school when I decided I was like, huh. I think all these things are pointing towards being trans. And so I decided that I would come out, and I did. And I came out originally as trans woman, and now I'm closer to trans, non-binary, but feminine leaning. Heck yeah, that's awesome. That's kind of exactly what, like, happened with me. It was like, all right, I'm a trans man. And then, like, as I, like, transitioned, and I was like, okay, now that I'm, like, masculine, I'm more comfortable in my femininity. So I was like, eh, I'm, I'm trans non-binary now. <laughs> I feel like it's kind of like a pendulum swing, like overcompensate and then you get back into normal. Right. It's like, I always explain it. Like I had to go all the way fully to one side to come back to the middle because I was like, it wasn't quite the middle for me. I was like, I had to go all the way over and then come back. There's a musician I like called Jacob Collier and he said, less is more, but only 
only if you've already done more. Otherwise, less is less. I felt like if I just went straight to the middle, I would have been like, this isn't enough. But if I go all the way to one side, I'm like, okay, now I know what too much is. I'm going to bring it back to the mid. Oh my God. No, that's literally like, that is exactly how it is. It's like, got to experience the extreme other side and before you can decide to like sit comfortably in the middle. Yeah. And I, I feel like a lot of people do that. I think a lot of it comes too from like the kind of pressure to like be not fully trans, but like completely binary. Because I definitely, like, I started out as, like, gender fluid and then kind of, like, non-binary and then eventually, like, oh, no, like, I want to completely trans my gender. And I was, like, dressing, like, really, really masculine. But then after that, I was, like, this just really isn't me. I'm, like, I'm kind of over this. <laughs> so often that, like, people, like, okay, I'm trans now. And then they're, like, now I'm time to conform to new gender roles. And then they're complaining about the new gender roles. And I'm, like, you know, you already broke the rules once. Who's to say you can't do it again? Transphobes are already going to be transphobic. So there's no reason to, to try to, like, cater to what they want. To me, it's, like, you came out as trans so you could break gender roles or, you know, do things outside the gender roles that you were assigned, and then you assign yourself a new gender, and then you're going to sit there in the new gender roles and be sad in them. I'm like, just break them. Honestly, yeah, though. It's like, you know, you've been categorized into a box, and you're like, all right, well, this box is uncomfortable, so I'm going to go sit in another box. And you're like, man, <laughs> this box is equally as uncomfortable. Like, I feel so constrained. And then if you just get out of boxes entirely and you're just like, I'm just going to be, it's so much easier. And like, you have so much more freedom to just exist without like preconceived notions about like what you should be. Yeah, I agree. I think the enforcement of the binary on society that brings me down, man. Honestly, yeah, it's really stupid. I am like, abolish the binary. The way that I describe being non-binary, you know, because people a lot of times like to think that like non-binary is just like a third gender. And it's like, we're not trying to move from like a binary to like a trinary. It's basically like when they're like, oh, are you male, female, non-binary? Because a lot of things will have that option now. And I'm like, that doesn't mean that non-binary is its own gender. It just means that you're saying male, female, or no. <laughs> so I'm like, I'm just clicking the answer that says no. That doesn't tell you anything about what I am. I'm just telling you what I'm not. Not a guy, not a girl. That's all you need to know. Yeah, I feel like abolishing gender is the way to go. Oh no, all of our labels suck and why do we keep having them? They benefit in some ways, but like at the same time, it's so constraining. Like why do we make these up in the first place? They just cause more trouble. Yeah, I actually just wrote a paper about this last week about the concept of like we can function perfectly without it. People hear like abolish gender and they're like, oh no, they're coming for my testicles. And I'm like, no, you can still be however you want, but you can also do anything you want. So if you want to like paint your nails as a cis white dude who goes hunting all the time and you know wears like blazer and camo, do that. Like there's no one to stop you. As much as I enjoy queer culture, I think that the the final step towards full acceptance in the world will be there is no more queer culture and it's just everybody's allowed to be gay. You don't have to be gay a certain way. You can go be gay and be however you want to be. Exactly. Like having all of these labels and, and ideas of what like we're supposed to be, I'm just like, I don't understand from the beginning of time, why did we treat certain bodies different? Why didn't we just equate everybody as an equal? Like I don't I don't actually know where that started. I mean there was hunters and gatherers and like my you know public school history book told me that that was the binary. I don't even know if that's true. It's just a strange thought. It's like your body distributes bad this way, so you must like skin berries. Like what? Like like how does this correlate? <laughs> 
Yeah, I've always found it like weird too that we have separate bathrooms. It just doesn't make sense to me. I'm like, we're all going into the bathroom to do the same thing. Like, why does it need to be separate? Like, what is the point? Yeah, if it was never separated in the first place, it wouldn't be a problem. Yeah. Like, and even people are like, well, what about urinals? Just make a big bathroom with a bunch of stalls and then like five urinals and you're fine. It doesn't matter. I, I've never personally seen somebody going to a urinal and like been uncomfortable. I'm like, yeah, they're, they're going pee. I'm going pee too. I'm in a bathroom. Right. It's like, yeah, this is what it is. There's literally nothing more than just we're all in here to take a piss. It's so ridiculous. Wouldn't it like make more sense like economically or like spatially? To just make one big room? Yeah, and people forget that stalls exist. Like, like I've never known what the person pooping next to me looks like unless we walked in at the same time. I know that, like, in other countries, their public bathrooms are very much, like, completely, like, floor-to-ceiling covered. But, like, in America, I guess we were going for, like, cheapness, and we're like, we're going to try and put, like, as little divide as we can between people. And that in itself is just weird, regardless of who the gender is like why can somebody walking past the stall like make eye contact with me through a crack like that's just weird like, i'm gonna save three dollars and sacrifice everybody's privacy just a little bit exactly it's like it's completely pointless another thing that i think would kind of disappear if we remove gender is gender dysphoria because coming from a cognitive dissonance of like oh no i have parts that are associated with certain traits that i don't want to have but if we were like yeah there's people with boobs and there's people without boobs and there's people with vaginas and there's people with penises maybe we wouldn't really care we'd be like yeah this is the one i got right like i enjoy having like a flat chest that's just something that i'm more comfortable with but like it definitely would not have like been as much of a stressor it would just be more of like uh hmm i think i want to do this instead yeah i think i think you're right it probably wouldn't remove it entirely but it would definitely alleviate a lot of stress from it i literally i hate gender roles <laughs> another thing is like you know usually you talk about it and the main people who are against it are men but like they're affected by it too a lot there's been a study that shows like toxic masculinity comes from feelings of shame when somebody's masculinity is challenged and like if there was no concept of masculinity then it would never be challenged thus you would never have these shameful feelings you know it's it's bad for us because we have to deal with it but it's also bad for them because they're they feel ashamed and that's why they're acting the way they're acting but you know they're not going to ask for help because that's going to make them more ashamed yeah like they won't ask for help and they they'll feel challenged and they feel like ashamed of not feeling masculine enough but it's like if we just entirely erase the concept of like what being masculine is supposed to be or what being feminine is supposed to be or like how people treat others for like men who don't exhibit like the stereotypical traits of masculinity like how we just treat those people, there should be no reason that, like, we are going to ostracize specific people for doing things like that. Like, what does it matter? Like, there also needs to be room for the people who just want to be straight and cis and non-gender conforming, because there's a bunch of them. You remove gender from the equation, and all of a sudden, they're just people who are doing things they like. Thank you so much for coming on the show. I really had such a great time talking to you. Thank you for having me. It was excellent to be able to talk. Of course. So what do I think? Well, for starters, I myself am transgender. So this identity is one that is very important to me. 
I first started questioning my gender in 2016, and at the time, I knew very little. Growing up, I didn't really know about trans people. I might have heard vaguely about famous trans individuals, but was never actually taught anything about it. My few queer friends and the internet are what really helped me discover my identity. I first identified as gender fluid, and then non-binary, and then gender queer, just trying to find what felt right for me. It wasn't until 2017 that I realized that I was transgender and that I absolutely did not identify as a female. Realizing that was probably one of the most difficult truths I've ever had to face. I wanted so badly to be fine with being a girl and just be queer without wanting to physically transition or take hormones, but I could only ignore my dysphoric feelings for so long. Once I finally accepted that I was trans, I found a home within the trans community. I've met so many amazing people because of being trans, and I would not trade any of those friendships for the world. That is one thing I like about labels, is that in a time where binary gender is still pretty strictly enforced, having a common name for our experience has brought so many of us together. I would love to have a blank slate where gender didn't exist and we didn't categorize people based on genitalia. Because in that world, people are just people. We put so much divide on who can wear and do and say what and how they can act based on genitalia, and if we stop doing that, we could all just be free to express ourselves in any way and there wouldn't be a social norm for how you should look. I think in a world like that, I would still be trans though, because it's not the social implications of gender that made me want to physically transition. It was the desire to have those masculine physical traits because I preferred them over my own. It's in the same way that I say that if I was born male, that I would still be non-binary, because that's who I am. I am non-binary regardless of how I was born. It just happened to be a female body. But after being on hormones for four years and being two years post-op from having top surgery, I'm much more comfortable in my body. And after coming out as non-binary last year, I've finally been able to fully embrace my identity as a trans person because I finally feel like me.